and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Get Into a Fix. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn and on come now. back when you've read it. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Famous Five podcast. Hello and I can't believe we're on episode 17. This seems to have flown by. Well, do you know what, Jen? It was actually our second birthday a couple of days ago. We've been at this two years. We're two years old. I know. Imagine that. Amazing. And to celebrate, we've got our very special and most favourite guest, Charlie Revel-Smith. Hello. Hello. I like to think I'm most only guest as well, I think. That's why you're our most favourite. <laughs> well, it's it's very nice to be back and happy second birthday. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you and for coming to our special birthday episode. And yeah, you are our only guest, which automatically makes you our favourite. But also, if we had others, you'd still be our favourite. But we wouldn't be able to tell you. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't be able to tell. We wouldn't be able to say it aloud, though. Tell you secretly. Yeah. Yes. Go, Charlie, you're our favourite, but don't tell anyone. (laughs) Don't tell the others. (laughs) You just hear it quietly in the background of an episode. I like like that as an idea. Maybe backwards, you know, like in the old days. So when people play the record of this backwards, because obviously it's on vinyl, then they just hear, Charlie is our (laughs) favourite. It's like, it's like well, you know, everybody does. They like to record their, their podcasts onto vinyl discs and then play them backwards. <laughs> yes, it's the future, I think. Is it? No. No, it's the past. Yes. But here yeah, speaks right. somebody who has a cassette player in her car, so she's nearly there. I do have a cassette player in my car, yes. My old car, which had very modern cd player was unfortunately in an accident and written off so i got a little nissan micra and she's yellow and so cute but the sound system is a radio um with and the display screen's broken so you have to guess the channel and a cassette player but unfortunately the cassette player doesn't work because when i was visiting you katie at the weekend i did find some cassettes in a charity shop and i got um Dionne Warwick greatest hits (laughs) and um bird song identifying for lowland birds and I was really excited to listen to them on the way back and the tape player doesn't work so I mean I don't maybe I can have someone fix that is that a thing that exists could someone fix the I don't think there's anybody there's anybody left in the world who does cassette player player repairs are there skills that's just died through time oh hold on let me just ring 1997 and I'll find somebody for you okay who you got it's one of those phones that's attached to the handset and the buttons are being do 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 or one of those like rotary ones. Remember yes. you had to, to twist it all the way around. Do you know, our first phone was the rotary phone. Our first phone that I remember when I was a kid. And I went and did an escape room a few months ago. And there was a rotary phone. And one of the women I work with who, she's probably um, maybe just about kind of 24. She's about 10 years younger than me. She looked at it and she said, how does that work? Oh, I, was no. like, I was like, wow, that's like... 
like, I'm from like a different era, man. Yeah. I was like, let me show you. <laughs> Step aside. The thing, <laughs> and here's how we do the it. The thing that used to get me, well, that gets me about the rotary phones is the only number that you need to dial in an emergency is the longest one possible. Yes. You've got to go. Yeah. <laughs> as your house burns down or your partner bleeds yes. to death. Yeah. Is it because in the old, old, old days, like before I had a rotary phone as a kid, is it because you used to dial zero for the operator and they'd put you through? Ooh. Or have I just made that up? I feel like I learned it maybe from Mary Poppins. I think there was a time where you would actually go to a switchboard yes. and there would actually be someone there who would have to like connect one wire to another yes. and put you through to the i don't entirely know how it works but i'm sure there was something like that yes because oh, it would yeah. be like if i was ringing you jen i'd be like can i have gloucester 721 and it would put oh, me yes. through and it's, gloucester 721 i've got cheshire 436 for you oh my goodness i would accept thank you and then they'd connect the cable but also they could listen in yes <laughs> they'd hear all our secrets yeah that charlie's our favorite <laughs> oh my god I would know I find it yeah I find it so crazy to think that now of all the phone numbers that I know that are stored in my head I know far and away the best recollection I can have of any is the house I grew up in mm. that telephone number it just comes to me better than anything else oh you mean well I won't say the area code in case it still exists and people call it but I was gonna say oh you mean like um, seven two five six six three. If you want to <laughs> call me back in the nineties, I'm there. Hey, can you fix tape recorders? Because I've got a friend who needs one. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that back then either. Oh, shame. Anyway, you know, sorry. This is off topic, and we really do need. To we haven't on topic, gone on topic. Yet. Just... It's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, great. I, I really, I just have something to say about the rotary phone and dialing nine nine nine. As a child, I was really frightened about house fires and thought like maybe my house would burn down in the night. That was my biggest fear. But we had that rotary phone, so if my house had set on fire, I would have wasted so much time dialing nine nine to get through to someone. Maybe that was part of the fear. Perhaps it was. They're perilous things. I would never get through to them in time. Just by the time you're connected, your house is just a pile of ash. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's oh, gone. no need now, don't <laughs> worry. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. The emergency's over, but thanks, guys. But have you got a massive dustpan and brush? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, believe it or not, this is the Famous Five podcast. Oh, my goodness. And today we're talking about five get into a fix. And the synopsis on the back of my book is... The famous five are off to the Welsh mountains for the holidays where skiing and trouble await. There's something mysterious about the old house near their chalet and the five plan to investigate. They're soon warned to stay away, but how can they when they suspect someone is trapped inside? Ooh. Mine's one of the very short ones. Mine is only two sentences. Who lives in the mysterious house near the chalet where the famous five are staying? The caretaker sees nobody, but the five have seen a terrified face at the window. <laughs> that's my that's my synopsis as well for my book. Ah. Oh, so many faces at windows yes. in uh, this one. Oh, and all the famous five ever. We love a mm. face at the window. Yes. I mean, it's completely out of control in this book. <laughs> There's almost like at the little chalet they're saying, there's pretty much a queue of people lining up <laughs> to look through that window. <laughs> that is a bit 
like what it is like in this book. <laughs> yeah, the um the version I have got is home to this um the Hatchet Children's Book. Damn. It's two thousand and one. This one uh, this one came out in, and it Ooh. has just a picture of them tobogganing on the front cover. Okay, mine is um nineteen ninety one. And it is a Hodder children's book. And the picture on the front is them skiing. And it's a really sweet, um, in the forefront, there's George who's fallen over and Timmy licking her face. And then far in the background, there's a person waving to them. But I've got no idea who that's meant to be. Yeah, who would that have it's been? It's not the guy, the caretaker that comes and shouts at them. And he's actually shouting, not waving. Oh. Not waving, but I drowning. you're right. <laughs> Yeah, I can't think of yeah, anybody think else it unless it it's just you know Anne up a hill. Oh no, Anne's here. I can tell it's her because she's wearing a pink okay. jumper. Okay, in which case it must yeah. be the man coming to shout at them. Yeah, that makes that would be sense. my guess. Okay, thank you for clearing that up. I was wondering. Do you want to say a little bit about the books that you found on your recent holiday? Oh my goodness, I would. So I went on a recent holiday to Iceland. And we were staying in an Airbnb, which was very sweet. And the room that Nick and I were staying in was um, sort of like a children's bedroom. And there were loads of books everywhere in this Airbnb. It was wonderful. And the shelves in the room we were in were full of children's books. And as I was just having a little browse, there was sort of like some in English, but mostly in Icelandic. I totally found a bunch of Enid Blyton books, and I think there were five um, famous five books in Icelandic. Oh, lovely. Thrilled. Yeah, it was really fun. And then I read them all, and that's how I taught myself Icelandic. <laughs> yes, it's good. So, so this, uh, this episode, I will be speaking entirely in Icelandic. <laughs> well, as I've learned from this book, um, even if you don't go to school, you can become um, bilingual, so... Yes. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, very days impressive. in Iceland with some Icelandic versions of books I've read in English. That's enough. And it should be said that Five Get Into a Fix was one of the books available to you. It was, wasn't it? And it was the only one I recognised by the cover because of the snow. And yes, that's very distinct about this book, isn't it? Mm. That it's a very different landscape we're in this time around. And the rough translation that I managed to do from the cover. In Icelandic, it translates as five at risk. Oh. <laughs> they were at risk in this yeah. book. This is, an, this is another one of the... She's kind of run out of titles by now, and she's just being incredibly vague with them. Like, five get into trouble, five get into a fix, five have plenty of fun. Was that one of them? Yes, and they really didn't, because yeah. George was kidnapped. No, again. they didn't. That was really... Pe- they were kidnapping and things mm. like that. It was, didn't sound like all that much fun. But... There you go. Yeah, there are a few that are um, five get into trouble. I think when we recorded that one, we said this could be the title of everything. Yeah, yeah. Saturn will same with five get into a fix as well. It doesn't actually say anything about. I would have gone for five on thundery mountain or something. Or right, that would have been fun actually. Thundery mountain. Yes. Um, I've just seen book twenty is called Five Have a Mystery to Solve. Again, I feel um, that applies to them. <laughs> I think if she'd gone past book 21, we'd have titles like Five Go Off and Do Stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Five Have a Book Written About Them. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Five and the Face at the Window. <laughs> <laughs> and it would just be a compilation of 
every time her face has appeared at window like a best oh wow i like that a lot <laughs> oh good who's the face at window number one? <laughs> oh, it's like an advent yeah <laughs> oh that's amazing open open and it's like ragamuffin joe <laughs> <laughs> but no let's find out what yeah. fix the five get into so in chapter one it's the Christmas holidays and all the children have been ill. So ill they didn't even eat Christmas dinner. Their coughs are driving them and their mother mad. Now, she's referred to as Mrs. Barnard in this book, which makes no sense at all because they were all Kirins in the last book. And they were even introduced individually by Toby Thomas. Julian Kieran, Dick yes. Kieran. So, yeah. who's Mrs. Barnard? I mean, I know it's... It's a bit of a mystery, real... isn't it? Yeah, the real mystery is that she's their real mother. So has she remarried and we just didn't know about it? <laughs> they didn't, men- didn't mention it because yeah, I can't. I can't imagine it. Sixteen, five experienced the divorce. Yes, I, I didn't see that one. <laughs> five go through a custody battle. Yeah, with with Enid Blyton being who she was, I can't imagine she would have written the mother to have kept her maiden name. It just seems. No. She was far Enid Blyton was far too traditional for mm-hmm. for that kind of thing to be in her books, I would think. So I'm guessing it was a mistake. I think so too. I imagine uh, that she doesn't keep notes for continuity. Well, this is the very first time we've met the mother, isn't it? No, I think. at the we meet her at the very beginning. Oh right, okay. That's obviously completely and skipped. When they go off in a caravan was... as well. But she's always just yeah, mummy. We... Yeah, yes, and we just, she's sort of there with the dad. Mm. Yeah, this is um, the first time she's not. been given a, a so, an actual name. Yeah, This book I did feel was a little bit weaker on the naming front, though, so maybe Ina Blyton was just having sort of a funny five minutes, but I noticed that the caretaker is only ever called caretaker, and the shepherd, even though he becomes a bigger character later, is just shepherd. And two dogs have the same name. <laughs> I know! <laughs> That bothered me. Like, I mean, in real life, yes, that's realistic. But in a book, I mean, well, actually, there's so many dogs in this book. Nine. Timmy, the little girl's dog. His seven. Oh, and there is the uh, Alsatian at the... um, the Ten different dogs in it. Yeah, ten dogs. Well, she didn't have to name the Alsatian, actually. So so I feel like like the little girl's dog could have had a... Absolutely could, because obviously the shepherd's dogs, or Morgan's dogs, are going to have one-syllable names because they're working dogs. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Ailey's dog could have been called anything. Yeah. It could have been called Little Beans, for example. <laughs> it could have. <laughs> and that was a suggestion a... that you gave for my mum and dad's new dog, which they didn't adopt. They adopted the dog. They didn't adopt the name Little Beans. <laughs> it's like any of my name choices. I had some really good ones. Limpet. That is a good no, dog name. No, it's not. That's a cute name. I like that. Thank you. Ailey's dog could have been called Limpet. Yes, it could. Absolutely. Yeah. I... Little Beans. That's a great name. <laughs> right. Uh, so, anyway. Um, <laughs> I need a third cat. The only thing, the only thing about Julian and Dick and Anne's mum being Mrs. Barnard is... That it's only the last book where we found out their surnames anyway. Yeah. Up until yeah. book 16, we didn't know. If she'd have named them in book one and then by book 17, forgotten. It's fair enough. But then again, she was churning out so many books. She doesn't know, does she? She probably just wrote it and thought, oh, I'll change that later. I'll go back and check or, you know. 
I don't think she was too concerned about continuity. Probably no. not, no. And it probably doesn't matter too much if you aren't reading the books in order, which of course you don't really need to. No, and it's mentioned once and then never again, so I don't suppose anybody really cares, do they? Like so many things, like later in chapter one, we meet Jenkins, the old man who helped in the garden, except I don't remember ever hearing about him before. And where's Joanna? No, Joanna's at Kieran Cottage. Mrs. Barnard is Julian Dick and Anne's mum. Mrs. Barnard isn't Aunt Fanny. Oh my goodness. Of course. I forgot that they were with Mrs. Barnard slash Kieran. Yes, okay. <laughs> God, I was just, I was, so th- I was so thrown by this whole book, I'll be honest. The snow... And yeah, it suddenly it didn't start at Kira. Yeah, she's actually kind of really thrown things about a bit. Um, at least with a kind of yeah. a bit of the settings. I mean, the story is pretty much as hackneyed as any <laughs> of them. They're all, <laughs> but it's nice to just have a bit of change of location, isn't it? Yeah. And one more thing about names. Yeah. In the last book, Five Go to Billycock Hill, their surname was Thomas, and then in this book, the surname's Thomas. Wow. Llewellyn Thomas and um, old Mrs. Thomas. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Bronwen, a great name. Yeah. Does she only think that every that the only Welsh name surname she could think of were Jones and Thomas? I'm guessing so. <laughs> because, oh, you know, Llewellyn is a surname as well, but she'd use that as a first name, so yes. she couldn't. Oh, well, never mind. Right, let's get on to this doctor character because uh, he basically works part-time as a travel agent and wants them to go somewhere hilly, near the sea, bracing but not too cold with snow. I objected to all of this. Um, I mean, not that him moonlighting as an estate agent, like, I mean, fine, you know, work the hustle, but a doctor sending children with horrendous colds to go and be in the mountains in the snow. <sighs> Is this a real, is this a thing? I know that there was like a kind of like a time where people thought the kind of like bracing country air would help, which is why you see pictures of like TB patients sleeping in beds outside. But I don't think they ever stuck people out in the snow, did they? And I don't think they did in the 50s. No, I think it was like, I think that was like a like First World War era thinking. Because, um, in fact, there's a hospital in Bristol, like an old Victorian hospital, and it has a whole balcony built for patients to sleep out on. So it was like, it was very like pre-modern medicine thinking that, you know, just a bit of air in your lungs would be enough. We know now that I can't imagine feeling ill, especially with a cold and being sent out into the snow to recover. It just sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. And then also, Mrs. Barnard is just like, you'll be fine, go off on your own, bye! <laughs> but all the rest of the time, it's like, she's so worried about their coughs. I just... I mean, I know, I know that for the purpose of the book, the children have to be away from the yeah. adults, but I just, I really... I questioned a lot of... A lot and of they're this. still so ill at this point, though, they can't actually laugh without coughing, so... And they're struggling to yes. <laughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to put you in a car for several hours, all of you together with all of your germs, with a healthy man who's driving. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was so <laughs> felt so sorry for that poor man. It's like you're guaranteed to get ill. Then we're going to send you far away to somewhere that's probably not very warm because it's an old farmhouse that people go to stay in in the summer. And there's a re- reason why they go to stay <laughs> in the summer with somebody you don't know. 
where you're just going to be probably have log fires as well, which does not help your chest. Yeah. And don't forget your toboggans. That <laughs> <laughs> they take all of their outdoor sports equipment as well. Just it it was a no from me. Yes, I would I would not have been keen on that at next all. Next time I'm yeah, next time I'm oh I do not want any of this. But this poor doctor is not only does it is he diagnosing and treating people. <laughs> he is just single-handedly given the task of sorting out when and where they're going to go on holiday. And it just seems <laughs> not too much of a burden for, for one doc to be dealing with all of this. Maybe he's gone a bit off the rails because he's got so much responsibility. And that's why, oh, yes, best best thing, the wilderness in the yeah, snow on their own. Yeah, probably just sick, send, send sick of having to deal with them. So he's like, I'll just send them off into the mountains. Yeah, send them somewhere where <laughs> yeah. I definitely can't reach them. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up. And it's, as the aforementioned old Jenkins, who was who uh, was clearing the snow, who suggested his aunt Glenis Jones in the Welsh mountains. And in chapter two, old Mrs. Jones agrees. She tells the children's mother that there's already seven dogs at the farm. George says Timmy will behave perfectly. The driver arrives and they pack the car up. He's very chatty. He had 11 brothers and sisters. Important information. <laughs> they s- Wait, is, is that important information? No. No. Okay, because... Okay, well, I just I just wanted to double check because what I did notice actually at the start of chapter two just mm. now, a piece of important information. Julian points out, "Whoo, mother, look, six scarves. Even if Timmy wears one, that's one too many." But at the end of the book, they give one to Ailey. Ah, oh. that's a nice bit of foreshadowing. Yes. Yeah, and I didn't think anything of it until just now. I was I, that little passage jumped out at me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, she." She really planned ahead in this book. <laughs> well done, Enid. Yeah, she, well done. Yes. Uh, they stopped for lunch as the drive was very long and they all fell asleep. And then at tea time, they stopped in a village for a quick meal, carried on their journey looking for signposts as it starts to get dark. They see one, but all it says is old towers. The driver doesn't have a map, so they head that way until they come to the gates that say, keep out. The lodge at the gate was empty and they just don't know what to do. In chapter three, the driver and Julian attempt to get past the gates, but they hear a guard dog and run. Timmy barks furiously as they reverse the car, but as they did, the driver had problems with it. It was very heavy to drive, as if the brakes were on. Very strange indeed. I also like um, condescending Julian pops in. (laughs) There's something wrong, said the driver, who now had the car facing back down the road again. The car seems very heavy to drive all of a sudden, as if I'd got my brakes on. Perhaps you have, Julian. <laughs> Excuse you, you do not know how to drive. Yeah. This is, I found this uh, very interesting that this is a real phenomenon that they're actually talking about. Is it? And uh, strangely enough, there was somebody who contacted me on uh, via Weird Bristol, my Twitter feed, asking me about one which is supposedly located near Bristol and they're called Gravity Hills. And the explanation in this book is not accurate for how it works. It's kind of like an optical illusion where the hill appears to be sloping down one way, but the environment around 
it, it, it's the environment around it, like the line of the trees and things like that, gives the appearance when in fact the hill is actually sloping the opposite direction. So if you oh. park on it and you uh, like take off your brakes, it will feel like the car is rolling backwards uphill and you can like roll tennis balls supposedly uphill and it's it looks like gravity has gone weird you can see videos of them online and they're truly weird very strange like people like pouring water onto the uh the ground and the water appears to run uphill amazing yeah that's really cool i've written that down because i'm absolutely gonna google that <laughs> yeah go for it but not now <clears throat> that would be rude as they reach the bottom of the hill the car was fine again and eventually they see a signpost and it has mega glen on it the children are greeted by mrs jones and a tall man morgan who helps with the luggage mrs jones tells them where their rooms are so they can wash for supper there's lots of food and the room it's served in is their own as well they all head to bed exhausted i love that this is famous five who this is supposed to be them with bad appetites because they're still ill and they are eating so much <laughs> on just on this car journey from like sandwiches in the uh, the car then have like a big supper they stop off for uh, lunch and uh, as soon as they actually mentioned the line buttered crumpets i like slapped the book closed and went out to the shops to buy crumpets because it's like i need them right now <laughs> it's right <laughs> I know. That's how I felt when I was reading it while I was at work. And also, um, I think it's Anne says that Timmy's licking the butter. And I was just like, buttered crumpets. It was like mouth-watering, kind of reading it. It was just like, I'm, I need some buttered crumpets now because they are the the most comforting food that you can possibly have. They are wonderful. I think I might need I some know. after we finish recording, actually. <laughs> Everyone stop recording to make some crumpets everyone, now. This is the end. We have to go and get crumpets. <laughs> Just hear me munching away on buttered crumpets in the background. And if you, you know, like um, you have read-along books. Well, we should have had an eat-along podcast. Oh, yeah, no, it'd be brilliant. So at the start, it would say, right, make sure you've got your ham sandwiches, pickled onions, cake, buttered crumpets, and then it would be like, eat buttered crumpets. Now. You'd have to have a whole joint of pork in this one, though. And a whole ham. And like a <laughs> bucket of snow as well. <laughs> and so much hot cocoa. Oh, and orange Yep, yeah, so much cocoa. I think it would be great. We should have done this. <laughs> I quite like this. Maybe we'll make the next yeah. one and eat along. You know what we should do, actually, <laughs> for the next one? Um, we should just make a note of all the food that appears. And then at the start, we can you know, talk about how much food we'd have to have in front of us if we were going to do it. I was reading this book. I was actually thinking about how I want to add up like all the calories that they eat during the course of a day, because I'm convinced that they are eating like six times as much food as you should be yeah. in the during the course of a day. Me too. I want to like mathematically work it out. Oh my gosh, that has to be done too. I started on the website making a note of everything they ate each book, but it was just too much work. <laughs> 10,000 calories a day. In chapter four, they sleep like logs. Julian wakes up and realises it's 9am. They slept for more than 12 hours. I love how late they treat 9am to be. Yeah, mm. and it's like they wake up like in a panic because it's nine a.m. I know, and um, yeah, and Julian's 
thinking whatever would mrs jones think of them like um, i don't know that you've just all recovered from a really bad cold and had a day full of traveling and also your children and you're probably really tired probably will give you a bit of leeway for getting up at 9am yeah but they i i do like it when you know they all get up at eight o'clock and whoever's up first is like oh come on lazy bones it's practically (laughs) noon (laughs) i've been up since three (laughs) (laughs) because they have to get fit all the meals in yeah that's (laughs) true yeah they have to get up early yeah (laughs) they go downstairs and breakfast is laid out for them They see the farm dogs and talk about the strange detour they took the night before. Mrs. Jones introduces Morgan, her son, a giant-like man with black hair and bright blue eyes. He didn't speak, just nodded. Mrs. Jones says he's very quiet unless he's angry, then you could hear him a mile off. Mrs. Jones says he could call his dogs down from the hills and they'd hear him, and the children believe her. Then they see the driver. He'd had a night in the barn. <laughs> After a day in a car with germ-filled children, so he nice slept of the, in the It barn. was so nice of them to have offered him a room, <laughs> wasn't it? Okay. I love how he makes a point of saying how wonderful it was in the barn, though. <laughs> oh, it's like the best night's it. sleep I've ever had. I was <laughs> snug I as a book. paid well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, He says there wasn't anything wrong with the car. There's something magnetic in the hill. The postman can't even cycle up it. And an old lady who is off her head lives there, apparently. (laughs) The children dress for the cold and keep Timmy on a lead because of the farm dogs. They explore the farm a little and George lets Timmy off, but suddenly a massive barking makes them run. Julian tries to stop George from rushing to Timmy, but she does anyway and yells at the other dogs. She also does a bit of an Indiana Jones with the leash and it describes her whipping it at them which i liked (laughs) even though you know obviously i was worried for timmy but it was a good mental image in chapter five timmy has been bitten they hear morgan's booming voice calling the dogs off mrs jones tells george she should never have let him loose and morgan scoffs that timmy's fine george is very upset she bathes the wound and wants to go home she agrees to stay until the next day julian and dick go for a walk and reach the summer hut chalet, lodge, whatever you want to call it. They explore inside and realise it's the perfect place for them to be away from Morgan's dogs. We get an awful lot of just stay until tomorrow in these books yes. as well. Yeah. And then yeah. tomorrow something happens which means that they stay. Forever. Maybe not forever. This was the actual description of Timmy getting attacked I thought was surprisingly intense. I thought that too. I don't. If you ever been in a a situation with dogs when they can just be playing with each other and then suddenly it turns a bit aggressive and it can happen so quickly and it's quite shocking sometimes. Um, my previous dog got bitten quite horribly once in something which just started off. You know how dogs they're just happily playing with each other and running about and then it happens in an instant and. Everyone is just sort of shocked. Like, what do we do? It was, it it kind of captured a bit of that, I thought. Yeah, I found it, it was quite scary as well, I thought, the start of this book, especially with that bit with the dogs. Yeah, and, and Timmy is our protector. We know everything's all right if Timmy's there. Well, we don't want something threatening Timmy. No. Yeah, he's not usually in specific danger, is he? He's usually the one who's yeah. getting them out of... A fix. And we don't um, tend to meet dogs that he doesn't get on with. He usually has a bit of a snuffle and then they're friends. Yeah. Yeah. He's meeting a different 
type of dog, really, because they're not pets, are they? They're working dogs. Yeah, that's true. So, in Chapter 6, the boys eat food from the well-stocked hut and discuss how ideal it would be for them to stay there. Dick thinks he can see a house on the slope opposite. Then suddenly, a small, wild girl appears with a dog and a lamb. I've got a um a new theory, by the way, which is that she is a vampire because... <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, how would she be able to be dressed in a t-shirt and a pair of shorts and not be cold in the snow? 100%. She doesn't even no. have socks, does she? No. Vampire. I can't Vampire. even think about not having at least four layers on if it's snowing. Yeah, wearing shorts in the snow. Horrible. It's because she's undead. Like, she's, she's <laughs> fine. She doesn't feel the temperature anymore. Yeah. And the dog and the lamb? Oh, I mean, they both have coats. Okay, good. Little coats. She runs when she sees them, but they tempt her back with biscuits. The girl is called Ailey. Her dog is Di, and the lamb is Fanny. She speaks fluent Welsh, but can make herself understood in English, and says her dad is the shepherd. Then she disappears down the hill. They set off back to the farm, saying they'll ask Mrs. Jones about Ailey, and if they can stay in the hut. In Chapter 7, back at the farmhouse, Timmy is much better. They tell Anne and George about the chalet and think it's a wonderful idea. They ask Mrs. Jones, who is hesitant at first and wants to see what Morgan will say. And so whilst they're eating this meal, um, I've just got a little Anne moment that I think Jen would probably enjoy. So the five set to work to demolish the good food on the table. George allowed Timmy to sit up on a chair and feed him tidbits for a treat. He was perfectly good and very well-mannered indeed. I almost expect him to hand me a plate of something, said Anne with a giggle. Tim, dear, do pass me the salt. Timmy put a paw <laughs> on the table exactly as if he meant to obey Anne. He's such a good boy. Such a, this is a dog that can clearly... I mean, he's fluent in English. He can understand full sentences and also has a sense of humour as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yes. He's a bit like... um. A friendly version of you know the old Sabrina the Teenage Witch show Salem. Oh, Salem the cat, yes. a person who'd been cursed to be a cat. Like that's what oh. Timmy's like. Like he's like a person. But in- <laughs> is this another theory? <laughs> yeah, it might be. I'll add it to my list. Okay, excellent. They ask about Ailey, but Mrs. Jones doesn't tell them anything they don't already know, except that Ailey steals. Morgan has said that the children can go to the hut, and so they plan to leave the next day after breakfast. In chapter 8, the boys go to bed, and George says she doesn't like Morgan, and then the girls go to bed. In the morning, snow has fallen. Mrs. Jones says that they can cook eggs on the little stove in the chalet. And then it says, And mind you don't go playing around that stove when it's alight, or the whole place might go up in flames. Uh, We'll be very careful, promised Julian. I'll send anybody back if they upset the stove. And... The way I read it in my head was just like, don't upset the stove. It's very sensitive. <laughs> don't don't call it an oven because it'll get sad. It's got yeah. very fragile feelings. Course, yes. Don't, you know, don't upset it. Don't by... make this little stove cry. No, <laughs> else you'll go back. <laughs> they packed. Jen, I know you're a fan of what they pack. Yes. Just in general. And Mrs. Jones lets them know what they can drink. <laughs> Good. Basically snow. <laughs> <laughs> and orangeade. And orangeade. But mostly snow. Mostly snow. snow. <laughs> 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 
Morgan has brought the snow slide and he pulled most of their belongings up the hill. Julian remarked that he's stronger than ten horses. They arrived at the hut and the girls fall in love with it. Morgan grunts a goodbye and said the shepherd comes by sometimes. Anne is unsure of him. They unpack and set up home quickly. Eat, pack some sandwiches and head off to Toboggan. I thought the kids were so ungrateful in this chapter. Poor Morgan hauls all of their stuff up to the chalet and the second it's gone, they're all like, well, I don't think much of him. Oh, yeah, I'm very <laughs> unsure of him. I don't like him one bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also like the part where... um. Actually, it's a bit bit more of condescending Julian. I don't have the quote, but he's like, oh, like, let me pull that with you because you won't be able to manage it alone. And Morgan <laughs> just, oh, here, I'll take one, said Julian. It's much too heavy for one person to pull. And I'm used to being in charge of everything, <laughs> huh, said Morgan scornfully and walked off with the two ropes over his shoulder. Um, And then Julian decides that he's, he wants to be Morgan now. In chapter 9, the children toboggan. Timmy politely declines, but has fun all the same. When they tire, they stop and eat sandwiches, and Dick spots the house again. Anne fetches the binoculars, and Dick thinks it's Old Towers, the unfriendly house on the hill. Then a small, wiry lady appears. It's Ailey's mother. She asks them to tell the girl not to stay out that night, and says she's as mad as the old lady in the tower. No, as mad as the lady in Old Towers. <laughs> <laughs> it works both ways. Um, poor old lady. Oh, Welsh accent or not, people might get offended. It depends if you can do a good one or not. <laughs> okay, well, I yeah. haven't done it for a while, but she'd say, poor old lady. She's out of her mind, so they say, must be. Or she'd see me, who worked for her for years. This was all very interesting. Why do they say keep out on the gates, asked Julian. They've a fierce dog there, too. Ah, well, young man, you see, some of the old lady's friends would like to know what's going on, said Aileen's mother, but nobody can do a thing. It's a strange place now, with noises at night, and mists, and shimmerings, and... Julian began to think it was an old wives' tale made up because the villagers were angry that they were now kept out of the big old house. He smiled. Oh, you may smile, young man said the woman, sounding cross. But ever since last October, there have been strange goings-on there. And what's more, vans have been seen there in the dead of night. What for, I'd like to know. Well, if you ask me, I reckon they've been taking away the poor old thing's belongings. Furniture and pictures and such. Poor Mrs. Thomas. She was sweet and kind, and now I don't know what's happened to her. But that was very good. <laughs> Thank you. That was. So they ask Ailey's mum to let Mrs. Jones know that they're okay and they dismiss what she said as a village tale. They head indoors and light the stove to keep warm. They play snap. And when Dick is out, he heads to the window and stares in surprise. Then he calls them over, quickly. In chapter 10, by the time the others reach the window, everything is normal again. Dick describes a shimmering by old towers, all colours, and then it rose into the air. They look for it again, but it doesn't happen. Dick goes out to get snow to boil and gets butted by the lamb. <laughs> they call into the darkness to Ailey, but she doesn't appear. And so Julian shuts the door and says, Cheer up, Anne, and for goodness sake, don't be scared if you hear a noise outside or see a little face looking in at the window. It'll only be that mad little Ailey. I don't want to see any faces looking in at the window. <laughs> well, you're in the wrong place, Anne. Yes, yeah, in the wrong book, yeah. certainly. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Anne. They head to bed and sleep until Timmy's bark wakes them. They dismiss it, but then there's a rumbling, and the hut starts to shudder. 
Anne calls out to the boys because she's terrified and Timmy barks his head off. In chapter 11, everybody wakes up and Julian falls off of his bunk. Anne describes the rumbling. She is accused, as ever, of dreaming it. But then it happens again and they all feel it. And when it stops, out of the window they see a strangely coloured mist. Julian doesn't think anything happening at Old Towers would affect them there as it's too far away. They head back to bed. In the morning, at breakfast, the shepherd looks in on them and they invite him in. And they ask him about the rumblings and grumblings. He talks about the hill and the fact that underneath it is a big dog that growls and the witches cook in their pots and the smoke rises. So there you go, there's another dog. Oh yeah, there's Love. Dog 11. The big that dog one that growls under the hill. Dog 11. Dog number 11, please. Poor Anne in this chapter. It was like, as soon as Dick says that he sees all these shimmering lights and everything, everyone comes over and says, oh, that's very interesting. Oh, I wonder what that could have been. Anne says that she heard an earthquake in the middle of the night. And everyone's like, oh, Anne, you're dreaming. Go back to sleep. And they don't believe it until they experience it themselves. She always gets accused yes. of dreaming it. Everything that happens in the night. So it's like, well, it was a dream. Even though they've had 16 adventures yeah. up till now where something has happened. Yeah. It wouldn't so be funny. unusual. Why would she start making it up in book 16? <laughs> she's always been telling the truth. Oh, poor Anne. It's because she's so mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, she is as mad as a box of frogs, but she doesn't dream things. I'll just jump ahead a little bit to my amazing Anne moment. This is the best <laughs> Anne moment I've ever come across in my life. But it's a, just a little bit later on and Anne is frightened of going up Old Towers Hill and Dick's making fun of her saying, are you afraid of the big, big dog Anne who lies under it and growls at night or of the lank-haired witches that sit on the hill and make their smoky spells? Don't be silly, said Anne, cross with Dick for reading her thoughts. She didn't believe in either dogs or witches. <laughs> <laughs> that really jumped out at me as well. It's like, Anne probably should believe in dogs as one of the five is a dog. <laughs> I, I love it. It was just so bonkers. Well, I, I don't believe in dogs. Like, um, okay. That's why she thinks Timmy's going to pass her the salt at the table. <laughs> All oh, this time, so she's been now. like, what is that thing that runs around? Because it can't be dogs, I don't believe in them. <laughs> Just some hairy cousin. <laughs> oh. She just doesn't like to draw attention to it. She thinks it's rude to mention. <laughs> she's so polite and kind, so she doesn't want yes. to embarrass him. Gosh, our, our cousin Timmy doesn't say very much, does he? He just makes a strange noise every now and again. And why does he never get his own bed or his own bicycle? Or why is he always running on all fours? And why does he have to eat dinner off a bowl on the floor? <laughs> why is he always... Oh. Just lapping up water from the stream and not drinking out of a glass like the rest of us. <laughs> oh, she doesn't believe in dogs. <laughs> doesn't believe in dogs. <laughs> oh, oh, Anne. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's... Oh, everybody breathe. Chapters... <laughs> in ch Chapter 12, Anne doesn't believe in dogs. Sorry, I'm just thinking of the past... 16 adventures, what what does she think? 
Right. In chapter 12, as they ski, they end up halfway up Old Towers Hill. They climb it and see a face in the tower window. Yay! Excellent reaction. Well done. (laughs) Could it be old Mrs. Thomas? As they ski, someone comes at them shouting, the caretaker. He says for them to clear off as the land is private. And when Dick suggests they'll go and ask permission, the man says there's no one at the house to ask, no one but him. They realise that he's lying because they saw someone at the window. (gasps) Julian wonders why they don't want people on the slope, perhaps in case they see something at the house. Anne doesn't want them to get into another adventure by inquiring. Then they realise it's lunchtime, so they head back to the hut. They start to talk about Ailey, and sure enough, she arrives. They decide to get her in and feed her and see if she knew anything about old towers. There is a moment, I've put a little note in this, um, just because I... I require some clarification, please. But So it's Dick and George that the caretaker speaks to. And after they tell Julian and Anne, Julian says, Why should it matter to anyone if we ski down that particular slope? Are they afraid we might see someone in the house, as we did? And why tell a lie and say there was no one else there? Did he sound like a caretaker? What does a caretaker sound like? <laughs> Working class. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so it's it's just um they're sort of showing their privilege here. Yeah. Um and well George does offer something which uh didn't help me at all, but she does say, Well, he didn't sound Welsh. So I've what I've learned well, I should say this later, what I've learned is that caretakers are Welsh. Yes. <laughs> it was a strange thing. It's like English people are allowed to move to Wales and work there. <laughs> no, no they're not. Oh, wait, How ridiculous. <laughs> Don't be absurd. Haven't you seen the barriers? You're only allowed to go on holiday and then you must go home immediately. Yes. I think really Julian was just a bit upset because he wasn't there for the action. And he would have known straight away if the man was a caretaker because he's yeah. Julian. And he, he, though he's always um, sentencing Anne to missing out on the adventure and sometimes George as well, he doesn't like it when that happens to him. He wants to be there. He wants to be in the... And usually he deals with the grown-ups. Oh, that's true, he does. Yeah. He he uses his, like, special grown-up voice. Yeah, and they all go, oh, what a very grown-up young man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm very, very impressed and perhaps a little bit intimidated by this young man. <laughs> In chapter 13, they ask Ailey questions about who lives at Old Towers. She says, many big men, little men, big dog too. Then they ask about the old lady. Ailey says she hides so the lady doesn't see her. They ask her where and bribe her with chocolate and Dick works out that she knows how to get into the grounds. Ailey gets upset. She doesn't want to get into trouble. She went in to rescue her dog and Ailey says the lady throws pieces of paper. Ailey read them, she said. They say, good morning, Ailey. How are you, Ailey? Does the old woman know you then? asked Dick, surprised. No, she doesn't know Ailey, only Ailey's ma'am, said the child. She wrote on her papers, Ailey, you good girl. Ailey, you very good. She's not telling the truth now, said Dick. And then they go through and realise that Ailey can't read. I know, that's a that's an excellent Anna moment. She might not believe in dogs, but she thought on her feet and discovered that Ailey can't read. Because what the note actually says is, I want help. I am a prisoner here in my own house while terrible things go on. They have killed my son. Help me, help me. Bronwyn Thomas. Now that's pretty... Uh, it's quite dark, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, dark's the word. 
Yeah, there's something a little bit disturbing about this woman being trapped in this house. I'm trapped and... in my house and they've killed my son. Yes. Yeah. Spooky. They ask Ailey if she'll take them to the old lady, and she says not the grounds, but into the house as there's no dog there. Then suddenly, Ailey's mother arrives and drags her home. The children decide they absolutely have to tell Morgan immediately. Is anybody getting five go down to the sea vibes where they don't know whether they trust Mr. Penruthlin or not? Yes. yes. Very much Very so. Very much so. It? And I was surprised that they decided that they were going to tell Morgan because usually telling the adults is the one thing you do not do mm. uh, ever. And it's usually when they make a friend like a ragamuffin Joe or Ailey, it's usually the mistake that that kid makes is that they go and tell an adult because they don't know you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So it was quite out of character of them to be like, we must tell Morgan even though we don't like him. Yeah, yeah, because I wasn't sure if Morgan was a villain or not because of the mixed opinions from the children. But Timmy didn't growl at him, which is usually a good sign. Yeah. And also... They've never had anything as frightening as that note. Like that's a lot to deal with, even if you're the famous five. Yeah. The fact that somebody's been saying that somebody else has been killed. Yes, and being held prisoner and being led to believe that their son has been murdered. Yeah, it's dark, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Mm. In chapter 14, Dick and Julian head back to the farm and ask Mrs. Jones where Morgan is. Morgan listens to what they have to say, reads the note and doesn't return it. He tells them to forget what they've seen and heard, and this is not a matter for children. And he will say no more, and if they don't, they will go home. That's very villainous speak. This was when I became sure that he was a villain. Because why else would he keep the note? The boys are angry and disappointed. Why was Morgan so annoyed, and why didn't he believe them? Is he mixed up in it? Dick can't help feeling there's something very strange going on. Yes, Dick, there is. Yeah, I mean, you've you've just found out about a murder. There is something strange going on. Yeah, you know that there is a woman being held captive and the mountain that you're camping on moves and weird lights come out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but only now does he think mm, that something strange Something is a on. bit fishy around here. <laughs> Something's just a... A little bit off. I suppose they're so used to going to places that things happen. It has to, like, ramp up for it to be really That's strange. That's true, yeah. You know, if there's just a minor kidnapping or one face at the window... Yeah. That's kind of, you know, Well, George regular gets holiday. kidnapped every other week, so that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, if George gets kidnapped, that's, that's okay. Like, they all know it'll be fine. Yeah. They get back, and when the girls hear what Morgan said, George announces that they will take the matter up themselves. In chapter 15, the children wonder what to do next. As they eat, they see Morgan out and wonder what he could be, where he could be going. They wonder if Ailey was in trouble. Later, Timmy hears something. He gets excited, but there's no one at the door. Then round the back of the hut, in a bunker, was a half-frozen Ailey, crying and hugging her dog and lamb. They take her inside to warm her up. She clung to Julian. They assume she's run from a scolding of her mum and Morgan. And then they hear him coming. In chapter 16, Ailey and her animals hide in the top bunk. <laughs> the four pretend to play cards in the most convincing way anybody has ever played cards. Dick says he, if he says what ho, it means Morgan's looking in the window. I really liked this as as an idea but 
Dick gets a bit what ho happy, I felt. <laughs> he does. What ho? What ho? Yes. No, no, just shouting it. What ho? Like, like Morgan knows something's up now because you're just screaming. <laughs> it's like, wow, Dick gets really involved with Snap. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a jar of mustard in his pocket and he's passionate about Snap. That's what we know about Dick. He does, doesn't he? A jar of mustard because that's yeah. how he's... Getting over his pickled onion addiction. <laughs> yes, that's. <laughs> he has a, actually. Dick has a hard life, and he does struggle with addiction. And I feel like <laughs> I was too hard on him just then. He should. He should shout "what ho" if he thinks it helps. <laughs> <laughs> he shouts it three times, and then there's a knock at the door. They refuse to let Morgan in in case one of his dogs comes in. But through the door, Morgan tells them if they see Ailey to send her home. And Julian says, well, if we see her, we'll give her a bed here. And Morgan says, no, you send her home and pay heed to what I told you down at the barn or it'll be the worst for all of us. They feed Ailey and she sits in Julian's arms and they ask her how she gets into the house. She describes a big hole and says she'll show them. Julian says tomorrow. In the night, George feels the rumbling and sees the lights. Julian's quite sweet with Ailey, really. Yeah, we, it's, just, it's an unusually paternal side we see to him and yeah. that we haven't seen uh, before. And it, but it, in, but I know that we will be talking about them later, but in both of the adaptations, by making her a much older girl, it changes that whole dynamic completely. It's that yeah. Julian is actually really quite fatherly towards her and she like falls asleep in his arms and things. And you realise, oh, she is like a really tiny little girl, isn't she? Mm. She's really young. Yeah, she's she is a very little girl. And um, yeah, it would just seem really weird if either girl in the TV uh, adaptation a 15 sat 15-year-old <laughs> falling asleep yeah, on his lap. It would just be like, <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> in chapter 17... It's the next day and they pack up some food, of course, and torches. And as the snow falls, they cram onto the toboggans and set off for the big hole. They take a lot of food with them. And I actually have just thought in this book that they don't ever have a backpack. So are they sort of like, you know, in video games, your character can carry like 27 bars of gold and three wheels Mm. of Edam. (laughs) Is that what? Like, is that what it's like for them, do you think? Yes. Because as we've previously discussed, they eat, you know, thousands and thousands of calories a day. But where do they pack them Yes, they must have some kind of magic satchel that they can carry all of these uh, things in. And yeah, that's exactly what happens in video games. I was playing the latest uh, Zelda game not that long ago, and I did just stop and think. It's like, looking like from my inventory, I'm carrying like... Six different weapons yeah. and four different shields and a bow and arrow and then like a hundred different types of food and like precious rocks and things like that. It's like this poor character must be <laughs> wandering around like dragging all this stuff behind him in real life. Yeah. But no, just as sprightly as he always yeah, is. Yeah, just sort of like jogging around and if you look at them in third person, there's no kind of visible bulk. Yeah, <laughs> where is he keeping all this stuff? Where is he keeping all this stuff? If you were to watch 
Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and why would you unless you have small children? They have a little thing that they call on called Toodles when they need a, t- a specific tool, exactly like that. And he carry he's a tiny little, he looks a bit, he's mouse head shaped, but he looks a bit like a clock, I suppose. And he carries things like an elephant sometimes when they need an elephant to like help mm, with their adventure or a giraffe or sometimes like a crane. So how does he carry all that? I know. I also, I feel a little bit chipped because the episode I watched with you, he had marbles, Mm. a stick of chalk and a feather. No, that was a, that was an easy day. Yes. (laughs) Maybe it's like, maybe it's like Mary Poppins, you know, her carpet bag that she can bring all of this stuff out of. Maybe that's what they have. Uh, Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. It would. Um, But there's just full of sandwiches. Yes. And that's why the toboggans go so fast downhill. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weigh an incredible <laughs> amount. <laughs> uh, Ailey is pointing the directions and they reach where the big hole is. And for once, Timmy doesn't fall down it because he has a habit of falling down holes. He's yeah, they finally, from... they've established how to get him into the hole now. Mm. After 17 books, 17 books in, they've worked out a way of getting him because usually he falls and usually lands on like jagged metal or sharp rocks <laughs> or something down there it's horrible yeah and they're, they're really efficient as well uh transporting him up and down holes now well he's traveled through so many yeah, yeah. it's true bless him um yeah they're like oh just whip up the old timmy <laughs> harness for you which was the book where they were pulling him up and he kept like running oh in the air Paddling in the air <laughs> oh i don't remember which one that was but that was good uh, but this time, Ailey jumps down the hole and is out of sight. In chapter 18, the children decide to use the ropes to go down there. And when they do, they find it's a tunnel. It leads to the gardens and further on to the cellars of the house. They come to a part where a wall had been broken and seemed to lead to a low-walled cave with the noise of water in it. Ailey was scared of it. That's where she sees the bad man. Julian sees it's an underground river. And Ailey describes noises and fires and bangs. They were all amazed. They're in the house now and Ailey disappears to check on the man and he's asleep. She takes them as far as the second floor but he's too scared of the portraits and won't go any further. They find the room with a key in the outside of the door. They knock and a very weak voice answers and they go in. Chapter 19, the old woman, Mrs Thomas, is shocked to see them and she tries to leave but feels faint and she says that Those men that my Llewellyn brought here, they wanted to buy my house, she said. But I wouldn't sell it. No, I wouldn't. You know what they said to me? They said that in this hill, far, far below my house, was a rare metal, a powerful metal, worth a fortune. What did they call it now? She looked at the children as if expecting them to know. She shook her head as they didn't answer. Why should you know about it? You're only children. But I wouldn't sell it. No, I wouldn't sell my house, nor the metal below. Do you know what they wanted it for? For bombs to kill people with. And I said, no, never will I sell this place so that men can dig the metal and make bombs. It's against the law of God, I said. And I, Bronwyn Thomas, will not do such a thing. Oh, good for you, Bronwyn Thomas. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. bombs is, you know. I was thinking, the only thing that I could actually imagine that it was is that, like, plutonium or something? It's like, is someone trying to make an atomic bomb? Is oh that what the stakes that we're actually having this story? <laughs> 
It would. I mean, heavy. It would make sense with like the magnetic issues and things like that, and the kind of glow coming out of the uh, of the hills. Oh God! You know, a little bit later, I was very concerned for the children getting radiation poisoning, but yes. I wasn't sure what what metal it was. But now I'm reconcerned. Um. The children might have like just prevented some like nuclear arms trade from going on. It's like, Ooh. yeah. Julian realizes that they can't get Mrs. Thomas out, and so they leave her, telling they'll get the police. Dick says no one has mentioned that her son is dead or missing except her. Ailey had locked the caretaker Matthew in the room, and Julian speaks to him through the door. Because, you know, he speaks to the adults. Matthew was astonished, <laughs> swearing that Llewellyn isn't dead, and he told him to tell her that. And basically, Matthew spills the whole story. Like, through the door to a child. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's, he's really upset about being locked in there. Like, not even under duress of Timmy barking, really. Because he's safe no. in a room, but he's just mad, so he tells them everything. As they reach the underground river, Ailey's lamb runs off. I didn't realise they'd taken the lamb down with them. It's so crazy that she's carrying this lamb around. Yeah. yeah, they do. There was a little bit earlier where they addressed that, where I think it's Dick and Julian are saying, well, let's leave the lamb and should we leave the dog as well? And then Ailey's having none of it. Because she knows she needs it to run off later for the rest of the story to play out. <laughs> yeah, she's like, this lamb is an important plot point later. So come on now. The children send Timmy, who doesn't come back, so George follows, and eventually they all do. It's like they send one in and it doesn't come back, so they send another one in. <laughs> yeah, which I'm not sure that's how you're meant to do it, but okay. No, I don't think so. In chapter 20, George passes the water as it gets wider. Why do not have rafts on it? finds Timmy and Ailey and the others arrive too. Julian reckons they're mining the precious metal and sending it out to sea on the rafts. Dick thinks Morgan knows all about it. Then the dogs growl. Two men are approaching. Morgan and Ailey's father. They didn't see the children but it seemed like they were looking for something. Then the rumbling started. They follow Morgan and see men working in the mine but as they were watching they were seen. They flee but straight into Morgan and Ailey's father, who was so angry. Now we'll all be caught. So they all try and hide. In chapter 21, from behind the crates, they see the men with iron bars looking for them. They found them, and even with Timmy and Morgan fighting, they couldn't get away. Llewellyn had a lot to say to Morgan about how they were lifelong enemies, and Morgan, whose hands were tied, made a dash for it. And Llewellyn declares that he'll fall into the river and drown, so nobody needs to follow him. But Morgan wasn't escaping. But Morgan wasn't escaping. And suddenly, his booming voice yelled, Die, Bob, Tang, come to me, Doon, Joel, Rafe, Hal. The names echoed round and round the cave, and it seemed as if the place was full of giant voices. Ailey, who, wasn't, who was used to hearing the dogs called, didn't turn a hair, but the others crouched back in amazement at the sound of such a voice. Now, who does Anne think Morgan is calling? His friends. <laughs> because as we know... Oh, yeah. She doesn't believe in dogs. Maybe she thinks he just has, like, kind of strange, aggressive children who also have the same <laughs> um, condition that Timmy has where they're really hairy. <laughs> There is a little bit earlier, I think it's in the chapter before, a little bit earlier when they're in the mines, and Anne is saying, 
It's like a dream, said Anne, feeling George to make sure it wasn't just like a dream. So maybe Anne's problem is when she's awake, everyone thinks she's dreaming. When she... <laughs> no, wait. Okay, when she's awake in the night, everyone thinks she's dreaming. And sometimes in the daytime when she's awake, she thinks it's a dream. So perhaps she thinks that dogs are just like a, a dream animal. <laughs> like unicorns. That's very complicated. <laughs> So Morgan does his shouting and Llewellyn sneers at the attempt. But after that, there was silence and suddenly the barking of seven angry dogs came on them. The dogs, led by Di, had, and this is Di number two, Big Di, <laughs> Big Di and Little Di, <laughs> or Di Bach, because that's Welsh for, for little. So Big Di had come all the way to their master, bitten off his ropes and waited for the attack signal. This is a dog of the same caliber as Timmy, evidently, to understand how to and then be able to bite through a rope. Yeah, that is it take biting through a rope takes an incredible amount of strength. And in fact, my dog has like a rope toy that it's it started off looking like a giraffe. It's now been chewed quite um thoroughly. But he's had it now for about two months and he's never actually been able to work his way through the rope. So this dog is a monster, I think. <laughs> it has the, like the bite strength of a tyrannosaur, yeah. I think. Yeah, a, a real monster because it's got that kind of bite strength and also the intelligence to just understand English. But yeah, of course, it's just a mythical animal. Yeah, that they yeah, mythical animal, of course. And... How after calling it, I think I think he shouts three or four times. Even if they're up on the hill, they find what the hole where the children went I down. I and... love this as a mental image. Like I just imagine the dog sort of standing around on the hill. Then they hear the noise huh? and they just like <laughs> army drop one, two, three, four, five, six, seven down the hole and just do 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 do. You know, just <laughs> run in single file, ready for action. It's like a military unit. Yeah, it's quite impressive. It is. That is some some remarkable dog training yeah, going Morgan on. Morgan is a master dog trainer. And the final chapter. Oh, by the way, the men and Llewellyn flee, obviously, because there's seven angry dogs coming after them. Mm. Uh, in chapter twenty-two, Morgan sends the children back to the farm to call the police. They go out the way they came and toboggan down to the hut. <laughs> and at the farm, the police have been expecting the phone call and say they'd see to the matter. Mrs. Jones gives them soup and they all agree to apologise for Morgan for thinking he was the villain. They agree to stay the night at the farm and have supper with Mrs. Jones and Morgan. The children apologise and Morgan smiles and says it's all right. Uh, he gives his dog some turkey and gives Timmy some too. And then they raise a birthday toast to Morgan because it was his birthday all along. The end. Hey, happy birthday, Morgan. But did he not even know it was his birthday? <laughs> he didn't. He was so busy on the case. Yeah, he had no idea it was his own birthday. My absolute Aww. favourite thing in that chapter is that as the kids are running away and about to toboggan, they want to stop off and eat sandwiches while the criminals are still <laughs> fleeing and Julian has to tell them not to. They were actually going to stop and like have a picnic as they were running away. <laughs> as they were running for the police, they were like, oh... Let's all open up some orange aid and eat some sandwiches and then, <laughs> you know, it was just <laughs> ridiculous. 
Oh, thank God you get us for sensible Julian. Mm-hmm. No, we will not stop for a picnic at this point. Yeah. Mid process of running to get the police, I think we can wait for a little bit. But they do that when they were out searching for somebody. Um, in the last book, when um the little boy Benny was missing, they ate sandwiches whilst they were searching for him. <laughs> Wasn't there another one where they had like like mid adventure? They had such a big picnic that they fell asleep. I feel like wasn't that one, that, I like one of the early probably. ones. That's definitely yeah. something they would do. So everything has to stop as soon as they're hungry. It doesn't matter how much peril they're in. <laughs> Actually, but I don't understand how they are hungry because they've eaten so much already that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've gone oh. five minutes without eating. <laughs> <laughs> Is there <laughs> anything else anybody wants to say about uh, the fix that the five get into or five get into a fix? Well, this was one of the, along with uh, Five Go Down to the Sea, one of the rare times where we actually get a location. We know where they're going to. Usually they're just in the countryside somewhere. But in Five Go Down to the Sea, it was Cornwall, and now we're in Wales. And it doesn't usually happen that she's she isn't usually specific at all about where they are. No, that's true. Because mm. we're not even sure where Kieran is, really. No, I'm kind of thinking... Dorset? Yeah, I thought maybe. so, but who knows. Yeah. But yes, we are actually in Wales. Yeah, and we've got location-specific names, same as we did in um, Five Going Down to the Sea as well. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why, but, but it was no, it was nice to have that as a detail, and it was nice to have a change of scenery in that, have we seen five, the five in the snow before? No. The only other winter book is Five Go Adventuring Again, where they have a um, they have the tutor over Christmas. Oh, and they would make Christmas Rowland. cards, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yes, but I don't know if they have any snow at Kieran or not. I don't recall. Yeah, but this is definitely, this is definitely a bit of a change, because all the other ones... If you think about kind of the strange floating timeline in which they live, where <laughs> it's this perpetual summer and they never age, this is actually really quite a radical change That's true, compared to the rest of the books. Sometimes they'll do something on their Easter break, but it's always good weather. Yeah, but yeah. last time it was May, because don't you remember we had a discussion about what Whitson was? Oh, yeah. Ah, yes. And they do have an October holiday because they remarked about how warm it was for October. Yeah, right. So it's always at least been mild, hasn't it? The weather's yeah, usually yeah. good wherever they go. Until they need a storm to happen uh, and then yeah. a storm happens. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that will come And up. it will happen the second that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I I have a feeling that's the only snow they yeah. deal with, but it's certainly the second Christmas adventure. Yeah, it made a very nice change, though, I think. It was nice seeing just... Uh, it, it makes it stand out and feel a bit different. By this yeah. point, the books feel so samey. I mean, this is... You could almost do a one-for-one with... Um, uh, five go down to the sea they're so similar in the mm. um but you just have the the wrecker's way becomes the hole in the the mountain and you know it's just ailey becomes yan yes morgan is um mr, mr. Penruthlin. Penruthlin. 
but it feels different enough just because it's set in the snow and they're tobogganing and things like that rather than just like bathing in lakes and camping. And don't forget, they've all had terrible flu, which they never mention again. Yes, they they're recovered all fine from now. the second they arrive in Wales. Then... That's what happens. Mm-hmm. It, 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 Wales is magic and if you go yes. there poorly, you end up The fine. second you cross that border, you're healed. Yeah. Wow. That's, That's uh... good to know because I'm well you too Charlie so close to Wales. You know, less Yeah, than it's very handy. Whenever whenever I feel a cold coming in, I just head for the Seven Bridge. <laughs> I'm not I'm not that far away from North Wales either because that's where we go on holiday. So in fact, safe. I'm going there in a month. So I'm going to we're Wales all good. On Wednesday. I hope I get no sick way. on Tuesday so that I can cure it on Wednesday. <laughs> you can prove it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know of any jobs need doing driving for flu children <laughs> around where I can definitely catch their germs? <laughs> no, but if one comes up, I'll recommend you. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Only one of each. Uh, unfortunately, you need to have 11. Oh. Not, not so, qualified. Uh... Not qualified for the job. <laughs> Shall we talk about the uh, TV versions? Let's. Yes. Okay. In the version that's filmed in the 90s, uh, there's no snow, but I was prepared for this because I knew they filmed the series over two summers and they would not have had the budget. <laughs> yeah, to get in a fake they... snow team. Um... Barely had the budget for actors. <laughs> uh, Julian's still recovering from his broken leg and you can literally see him hobbling around. It's really off, off-putting off if you're looking for it. It makes you realise how quickly they must have filmed them all that over mm. like a really small space of time because it looks like his, his leg is taking forever to heal, but that's because it's all just <laughs> over the course yeah. of a few months, isn't it? I'm guessing over, well, probably over the course of a few weeks because it would be considerably cheaper to film during summer holidays, you know, in that six-week uh, frame. So you don't need to then pay for tutors or things like that, which you would have to mm. otherwise. The 90s version is consists of two series, and I know they did do it over two summers. Um, I was listening to Jemima Rupert on a podcast the two shot podcast where actors talk about acting and she was talking about working on the famous five. And so I did do think they did do it in a very small time yeah. frame. Um, also, as we discussed earlier, Ailey is much older than uh, in the book. She only has a dog, no lamb, but actually this one's quite a good episode to watch. Some of the nineties versions I find not great, yeah. but also, everybody who is meant to be Welsh is Welsh, and that will become important later Yeah, on. I thought that was but... a, it was nice that it does give it a sense of location, doesn't it? That they mm. are actually have authentic uh, voices. And it is a shame that um, Ailey is so much older, because she actually seems to be older than the other five, isn't she? Um, and it makes a big difference to her to her character in that uh, in that sense that she's she's yes. not quite as um kind of vulnerable and and you know uh, innocent roaming around these mountains by herself yeah she definitely seems she's definitely older than Anne I don't know if she's the same age as I don't know but yeah she's not the little girl that would believably be frightened of these children and um 
be allowed to sort of wander around yeah. because she <clears throat> looked like she should be at secondary school. <laughs> uh, there's two clips here. One is um, them reading the note for Mrs. Thomas, and then the other is Morgan shouting for his dogs because, you know, it's important part of the whole book yes. is the dog shouting and whether the actors were up to it. <laughs> uh, this episode was adapted by Richard Carpenter and directed by John Gorry. Morgan is played by Daphith Amir and I can't find the actor who played Hayley. Because she's a vampire. <laughs> but of course, without it being the snow, she's just out uh, in the summer, so it's fine. Much less noticeable. That's true, yeah. Yeah, here are the clips. She sends me right in, spit of paper. She throws them out of the window. What do they say? They say, good morning, Ailey. How are you, Ailey? You are a good girl. You are a very good girl. I bet. She does, she does. Look. I need help. I'm a prisoner here while terrible things go on. They've killed my son, Llewellyn. Help me. Help me. Bronwen Thomas. Killed him? Surely not. You can't read, can you? I can in Welsh. My dad taught me to like school. Here, here. It's terrible if it's true. We'll have to tell Morgan. Come on, Dick. You and me. I'm shaking like mad. It's just like an earthquake. And then this. Haley gave it to us. We'll quite like it back, thank you, sir. Child's daft. Take no notice of her. She didn't fake it. She could hardly read, let alone write. I think we should go to the police. I'll tell you what you should do. You should leave everything to me, Morgan Jones. You're to forget about everything you've seen and heard. Now go back to the hat. But, but what about Luke? It's not a matter for children, you hear me? Now go. Bob! Tang! Good! Good! A fool. Calling his dogs and they away on the hill. I thought he had a good voice, that Morgan. Yeah, I think so too. It was quite an impressive, yeah. I did notice, though, they downsized the dog cast. Um, He's just got three, which is Mm. fine. Three's a good amount of dogs. And he's got big dogs, which is what I expected, so... Oh, I'm really glad you said that because you know the dog that scares them away from Old Towers at the start of the book? When they get to Old Towers in this version you see these gates which don't look particularly sturdy and you hear a dog but you don't see anything even though there's quite a big gap under the gate you don't even see like a shadow or anything there's clearly not a dog on the other side of that it's clearly just sound effects that they're reacting to it's really funny to watch in both in both adaptations anytime they said old towers i heard alton towers (laughs) And so when they kept on saying they were going to head to Alton Towers Amazing. and the old lady trapped in Alton Towers and things like that. Wow, she's been on Nemesis for 30 years. <laughs> I got stuck on a ride once just for like five minutes, but it was a really long five minutes because there's like nothing to do up there. And I wasn't upside down or anything. I was just on a bit of flat track. But can you imagine being trapped on a roller coaster <laughs> yeah. for 30 years? No wonder she's just mad. Live your life on the uh, roller coaster. And she's just throwing so. notes out to people, but the only people getting it are illiterate children. She's throwing out the note, and all the notes read, someone stop this ride. 
Oh, and her handwriting would be <laughs> so <laughs> bad because she'd be in the chair restraints. Of all it would start moving. off normal and then it would just go. <laughs> yeah, she'd hit a loop the loop or something. And then... <laughs> Poor Mrs. <I> know. <laughs> Thomas. Towers. See, that would have been if there had been a book uh, 21, I guess. 22. Like, f- 22, yeah. Five go to Alton Towers or something like that. <laughs> that would be a change of scenery for them. Yeah. That would be great. In the version that was made in the 70s, again, it's not the snow, but again, they did it over two summers. Fair enough. La la la. But their story is that they've missed out on going to Switzerland for the holidays because they were ill. And then they're just going... So at least they mention the fact that they were ill. The others were in the other version. They're just going to Wales, but yeah. uh, George is sad because she's never going to learn to ski now. I mean, she could go to Switzerland yeah. another year. Yeah, it's a bit dramatic, isn't oh, it? it? Is I'm George, never though. going to ski. <laughs> I'm never going to learn how to ski now. We were all, Ill, but and then um, one of them says, "Well, we were all ill," and she was like, "But I had it worse than all of you." <laughs> Come on then, George. Although they do say that in the in, book that she had it worse than anybody else. In both adaptations, in the nineties and the seventies version, George always comes across as as really quite unlikable, <laughs> and it's not, it's not the actor's fault in any way whatsoever. As we discussed before, just how terrific Jemima Rupert is, but there is something about those lines on the page when you actually act them out. You go, she just comes across as really spoiled yes. and unlikable yeah. very often. Yeah, I I think is that because in the books we, you know, we have just like a lot more kind of description, and so we see the nuances of her character. Whereas in these shows, which are just sort of twenty mm. odd minutes long, we don't get to see that. So all we have yeah. is the lines. Yeah, and yeah, agree. I I always think that because I. I go into the clips thinking that I do like George and I come out of them not so sure. <laughs> I think it's also in the books that when George is being really difficult and, you know, she's running off and sulking, it's always depicted in a way that George is actually quite childish sometimes and she's too. she lets her emotions get away from her and it's a bit of a problem. They don't have time to discuss mm. any of that in the adaptation, so it just all goes sort of... Um, uncritiqued upon it's just like this is the way that she is and there's no one there saying buck up with your bun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's about it's it's about time you have so little time within a script um yeah and on a tv show and also it's a 20 odd minute adaptations of these 200 word books so there isn't time to waste anything yeah and really each child's only sort of allowed one personality trait yeah. because they just haven't got time yes. for any layers because they've got to get on with these adventures and introduce more, you know, new characters we've never met before and we've got to work out if they're a goodie or a baddie, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no time, whereas in the books mm. there's so much time. And yeah, like Charlie was saying, when she does have her moments, it often gets talked about by the others or we also get a glimpse into her frame of mind or her thought process which you can't get in a in a very short children's tv show yeah and it makes her much more forgivable when you can see that yeah although i was actually thinking as i was reading this book about of all of the children none of them none of the four children at least really change very much except for anne 
if you go all the way back to the first book and how um uh, i don't want to say cowardly but how frightened she was of everything mm. it's almost she's the only one who seems to have actually grown from these adventures and actually become like just a bit more feisty i think Absolutely. it was a couple of books ago she was talking about smashing someone's record over their head or something <laughs> yes she was last yeah. book um, like that book one Anne would not have done that it's like she is actually we've seen some character growth in her now and she's just she's a bit more bold nowadays whereas the other three are kind of the same as they were when it started really but yeah it's nice seeing her that she's yeah she's she's learnt from all these adventures that they've had as we can just go back to the 70s adaptation, which was where we were. <laughs> Sorry. So I think I, I, I drifted us out of that then. Sorry. It's not a problem at all. <laughs> They've missed out on Switzerland because they were ill. Then we started talking about George. So in this episode, Jen, when Morgan arrives first, he has a baby lamb that Anne feeds. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So that makes you feel much more kinder towards Morgan. Yeah. Because he's quite... Yeah. He's quite handsome, actually. I'm not gonna. I'm yeah. gonna edit that out. That that does sort of start him off as he's more likely to be a goodie because a baddie wouldn't be bringing a baby lamb and then let someone bottle feed it. Listen, yeah. He comes in. He's tall. He's got curly hair. He's got a big coat on, and then he reveals inside his coat that he's got a baby lamb. I mean, come on. If you're going to reveal things inside your coat, baby lamb is like top ten. Exactly. So how could you not? And he's and he's got a Welsh accent. It does instantly make you warm towards the uh, the character. And yeah, I think your the Welsh accent does help as well. It's a very I friendly, warm accent, isn't it? There's very yeah. uh, nice on the ear to uh, mm. to lots of Welsh accents. Um, again, Ailey's too old. Uh, doesn't have a dog or a lamb, and isn't Welsh, and nor is her mum. <laughs> pushing forward with the theme that you are allowed to emigrate to Wales. And it's really funny because the mum obviously goes on about how she worked for Mrs. Thomas, so she sounds like she's a local because she's been working for the old lady. Yeah, from... and the books like made it very specific that, um, that Ailey isn't stupid in any way. She just doesn't know much English and she can't read it. She can speak it a little bit, but she's perfectly fluent in uh, uh, Welsh. Mm. If you think about it, her English is far better than any of the children's Welshes. So she's practically bilingual, isn't she? Yeah, pretty much at a very young age. She can communicate to the extent to make herself understood, which I think is a solid win when speaking another language. Yeah, certainly. That's kind of like... When most British people go on holidays, that's more than they can achieve when they <laughs> go mm. to France or something like yeah. that to actually be understood in a foreign language. So, so good for her. In all honesty, the way she's described in the books, I only see her as about five or six. Yeah, I mean, it does. It does kind of make you worry. It's like. She really shouldn't be wandering around these mountains no, at this age no. wearing like completely unseasonable clothing it's like this could be this is really dangerous behavior she should her parents really should be keeping a closer eye on her um i do have to go back to it's because she's a vampire so don't worry she's actually hundreds of years old <laughs> okay. and fully capable so she's and immortal. well then she should have learned to read english <laughs> yeah she's got she's no had enough time now. Oh, my goodness. well <laughs> 
well. Well. But she knew... Oh, no, that's not... Right, come on, the 70s version. So, they act in this as well. They actually end up being forced to stay underground when they explode part of it and all rocks fall on them. It's very dramatic. Yeah. But the police rescue them because during them sneaking around the big house, Julian just rings the police and gives the address. So that's lucky. That was good, um, good forward thinking. Very. Yeah, it was, probably, it was probably because it wasn't... Because it didn't have any snow. One of the fun parts of the book is them actually tobogganing away to the uh, to the house. It's <laughs> quite an exciting true. bit. But without emergency snow, toboggan, yeah, without snow, you might as well just have them use the phone in the house and call the police. I mean, it does make more sense, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is quite like it is quite nasty. The mm-hmm. rocks falling on them. That's quite. It's quite frightening. Yeah. This episode was adapted by Gloria Tours and directed by David Pick. Morgan is played by Martin Potter and Ailey by Samantha Wayson. So again, we've got them with the note and telling Morgan the voice shouting for the dogs. And I know, Jen, you like me to tell you how the episode ends because it normally ends with a cheesy joke and a laugh. My favourite. But this one doesn't. It ends with them singing Happy Birthday in Welsh to Morgan. I was pleasantly surprised. She even writes me letters. Letters? She does too. Dear Ailey, how are you? I am very well. You can come to tea because I know you're a good girl. Hey, look, look at that. Give it back, it's no, mine. No, Ailey, have you shown this to anyone else? No, I haven't. It's mine. I need help. I'm a prisoner in my own house while terrible things go on. They've killed my son. Help. Please help. Bronwyn Thomas. What are we going to do? Morgan might still be living with us. Mrs. Jones has gone shopping. She won't be back for hours. This is too important. We've got to show it to someone. Morgan! Morgan, hang on! We've got this letter from Amy. Mrs. Thomas is in trouble. Oh, I just forget all about this if I were you. Ailey's always getting up to mischief. She can't even read, let alone write. Well, if you take my advice, you'll just forget all about it. But surely you're going to call the police. No, I'm not going to call anyone. But Mrs. Thomas might be in trouble. Her son could have been killed. No, no buts. It's none of your business. Now, just you go back to the yard and say nothing. Or I'll pack the lot of you back off home. Ah, let the fool shout. Die! Who can hear him? One, two, three. Penwright happy Z-Tree. Penwright happy Z-Tree. Penwright happy dear Morgan. Penwright happy Z-Tree. Well, thank you very much. I'm not sure I want wishing happy returns to this day, eh? <laughs> Come on now, what about some breakfast? Oh, eh? I'm In the bit where Morgan's shouting for the dogs and um, Llewellyn Thomas goes, oh, let him shout, who can hear him? My brother and I would always turn to each other and go, the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> So, what have we learnt from Five Get Into a Fix? Well, do you know, earlier in this episode I was saying this is something I've learned, but I'm glad I said it then because I've completely forgotten it. 
But one <laughs> thing I did learn and make a note of was that you don't need to go to school um, to become bilingual. Very true. I can't for the life of me remember what it was that you said I've learned. When, whenever we listen back, when you come to edit it, you'll be like, ah, oh, this mm. was it. So, I mean, <laughs> so I'm glad because earlier I thought, well, I'll remember that, but I'm glad I said it earlier. Now it's, <laughs> it's been saved. I've learned that doctors also double as travel agents. And I learned that if you get ill, you should be sent to the coldest place imaginable to recover. <laughs> and of course, when it's winter, you don't need to pack any water because you, you just, just have a bucket snow. of snow. <laughs> I, st- I don't love it. I don't love either of those things you've learned. I don't <laughs> go to the cold when I'm ill. And I don't, I don't think I like the idea of boiling snow. Every time, every time it does snow, which isn't that often, but when it does, I'm always like, oh, this is so beautiful. I'm going to go out for a walk in it. And five minutes later, I'm wet and I'm just like sodden. I'm like, this is not fun. Why do I never remember that snow is only fun to look at, not be in? It's not pleasant at all. Alice was about three months old when it snowed, maybe four months. And so I put her in a in a big thick onesie and took her out and she just looked as if to say, what on earth is this? <laughs> Why is it so cold? Take me back yeah. inside. So she wasn't impressed. <laughs> Take me back inside, please, mummy. <laughs> yes. I've got one more, uh, what have we learned? And that is probably useful to always remember when you're in the top bunk. And not just try and get out and fall off like Julian no. did. Very that is good. so useful. Yes. Don't just throw yourself out of bed. <laughs> Dramatically. And, you know, plummet <laughs> to the ground. Which is probably good thinking whether you're in a bunk bed or not. It's like, take your time getting up. It's not... Yeah, if, you're, <laughs> if you're not sleeping at home in your own bed, somewhere you're familiar, then just, just take a minute, have a look around, remind you yeah. of where you are. Have a yawn and a stretch and just, you know, yes. start, start the day off casually. That's my advice. Such good advice. <laughs> start the day off casually. Oh, I wish. It doesn't apply if you've got small children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who is the hero of this book? I've struggled uh, with this. Oh, me too. Uh, it's hard to put someone in front. Jen? I... I feel like Julian and Anne sort of did the most in this book, but not, I don't know, they they sort of, Julian more so, I suppose, got things done. Um, But I didn't feel like he was the I thought Julian perhaps because we see, we saw that kind of nurturing side of him, which we hadn't seen before when he was with Ailey. But that was more... Because it was just different, because we hadn't really uh, seen it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we can define what a hero is. It doesn't have to be somebody who rescues us. Yeah, it's true. I, I like that we've seen a, a nicer, not nicer, but a nurturing side of Julian that we definitely haven't seen yes, in the it past. Yes, it was a nice touch. I did so appreciate I, it. I'm I'm happy for well, Julian I, to I yeah, would also put a vote in for Timmy as well. Because he got attacked early on, but he is a forgiving dog. And at the end, when he saw that all the other dogs had 
apprehended the criminals. He wanted to hang out with them. And I think forgiveness is a very good trait. Mm. But unfortunately, Charlie, I don't believe in dogs. So he gets. <laughs> Katie, um, what do you think Ludo is? It's just a hairy friend <laughs> of the family. <laughs> I mean, that's true too. So, okay. <laughs> You don't believe in dogs. Timmy's just a kind of unfortunate looking cousin, Katie. Like, be kind. I think I did like Timmy in this one too, but I I really like the idea, ooh, do I, of giving it to Julian for being Yeah, I think. So I, yeah, I. Yeah, because little Ailey, she needed a bit of love. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's nice saying that there are different types of, it's not just one type of courage, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Oh. Sometimes it's courage of the yes. heart. And it harks back to the first episode you ever did with us to talk about more than one type of boy. Yes. Yeah, and very much so. But... We definitely want boys to nurture. Yeah. And to be depicted as doing so. Yeah, and for it to be okay for boys to, to be um, caring and kind, they're all things which which boys still need to learn and there aren't enough depictions of it. So I'm certainly happy with a vote for Julian. Yes. Yeah. Let's Julian. go for it. Um, so what can we expect next time next time jen when we go to finiston farm you can expect twins americans and a jackdaw i like all of those things well they are very intriguing and also we're now mm. only two books away from jeremiah boogle <laughs> <laughs> Have you been measuring the whole time? <laughs> yeah. We're only this many books away from Jeremiah. Been Boogle. crossing each one off on the yeah. list. <laughs> it's a little calendar. Yeah. Also because he's in Demon's Rocks, which is an easy name to remember because it sounds yeah. so dark. Yeah, and Jeremiah Boogles there. See, that's a good title. Five get into a fix isn't. Agree. Yeah, Demon's Rocks is like Smuggler's Top. That was a good one as well. Mm. And Demon's yeah. Rocks for a long time was the only book you didn't have in your collection, wasn't it? It was, actually. Demon's Rocks was the last one that I got. Oh, and we should say... We should. <laughs> two years ago, when we were starting this project, we decided that we would search charity shops so Jen could have the collection of books. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd been given the full 21. And so it took us quite a long time to make to, I mean, I to get you them. I only got Demon's Rocks this year, so it's taken almost the whole two years mm. to just sort of find them one by one. And we walked into a charity shop together on Saturday, and in the children's section, in a box for ten pounds, was the entire twenty-one famous five books. Ooh, it was wild. That works out just really quite good value overall. Amazing value. And that was exactly what we needed two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've paid at least a pound for each of mine. There were some I did get from the library and some which you gave me as a gift, Katie. But, mm. um, I mean, £10 is an absolute bargain. And I just, you know, I cannot get over that timing. I mean, I'm not even upset about it a little bit, but it's just crazy. Like, just as I had all of them and just as we're coming to the end, we just find someone's old collection. £10 or £21. Like Wild. Fate. 
<laughs> so if you're in the Altringham area and you want some famous folk books, <laughs> head to the Salvation Army. Yes, go oh, for it. You're That's good a... at remembering. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I am good at remembering. And they're in a shoebox and they are a bit like my collection where they're not all mm. from the same um, edition type. There's different ones, which is a bit fun. Go and get it. <laughs> Altrincham, go, go there, go. If you're just joining us and mm. you think, I want to listen back to all of them, but I want to read the books first. Salvation Army and Altrincham is your friend. In- interesting pronunciation of Altrincham. How did I say it? Altrincham. Oh yeah, that's how I say it. But then again, it's a it's a word that nobody can say, so <laughs> don't worry about it. We had yeah. this discussion, didn't we? Yeah, because it just doesn't make sense how it's written down. So many of the letters don't work out as to what they should be. But it does have a whole set of famous five books for ten pounds. It's got that going for it. And you live there near there. <laughs> yeah. Don't, um, but I don't want visitors, yeah, though. No, no visitors, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> no faces at the window. No faces at the window. Right, we should say goodbye, because it's probably been about eight hours that we've been waffling on about... <laughs> it's been quite a while, hasn't it? It's nice having you on, Charlie. It, it makes the episodes longer, because we've just got more more to talk about, but I do enjoy it. Yeah, I'm I'm terrible with the spooktator of leading people on tangents, <laughs> so I do apologise if this is an epic editing job for We you. should say that the spooktator is uh, Charlie's other podcast, and you should definitely go and listen to it, because it's very interesting. I like it a lot. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Right. Is that everything? I believe so. Except to say, um, if you would like to visit us on Twitter... We are at Famous Five Pod. And if you'd like to send us an email, hurry up because we're running out of months. We've only got a few months left and then <laughs> Famous Five Podcast will be no more. You can find us on famousfivepod at gmail.com. Yes, and please do tell us, do you believe in dogs? <laughs> Charlie, surely you've got things to plug. Now is the time to do it so we can all find you. Uh, all right, um... Uh, the same stuff as always, really. Um, my um, kind of lesser known uh, Bristol history uh, Twitter feed, Weird Bristol. Uh, that's at Weird Bristol. I have a Weird Bristol book is out now, which came out just before Christmas. And now I have, this is obviously staying very clearly on theme, I have in the Bristol Post, I have on Saturdays, I have a weekly column called Weird Bristol. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, oh. that's so cool. Yeah, it's quite fun. Yeah. Brilliant. Well done. I, I'm only one article in so far. I've just submitted the second one. So hopefully How by the time exciting. this podcast comes out, I'm still working for them. <laughs> and if not, it was great while it lasted. But yeah. so far it's going pretty good. Yeah. Oh, well done. And Charlie, it is always delightful to have you on the podcast. Oh, no, it was it's. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You're right, Jane. You sound like you're going to cry. You're getting emotional. I do. Just with Julian being the hero and finding out dogs are a mythical creature and Charlie's a columnist now. It's just everything. <laughs> it's just all too much. It is. All that's left, I guess, then is to say goodbye and thank you so much for listening and see you next time for Five on Finiston Farm. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. 
and please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye.